Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. This morning I had a total different, I actually had three different messages I was wrestling around with last night. Um, I did. I had three different messages uh, ready and I wasn't sure which one of them I was going to speak because all of them seemed like they were a timely word. And but I wasn't settled on any of them, and uh, and usually I'm pretty well settled in by Sunday morning onto what I feel like the Lord wants to say that morning. Um, but I actually got here, and, and as I was driving here, and as I was here, I I started thinking more and more about something my wife had said to me uh, just the day before, or two days before, and and I just started praying into that. I really felt like I was speaking about that. So I'm gonna just gonna. I want to talk about that this morning because I really feel like, especially with what we've been talking about for the past four weeks, with just the idea of, of being family and knowing each other and, and, and giving each other access into our lives and speaking into each other's lives, that it was real fitting. So, um, so God, I just thank you this morning that, that you're speaking through me. God, that this is not my wisdom, my knowledge, God, that there's, there's the breath of heaven on this word. And I thank you for that. God, I ask that that our ears would be open to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Patty and I were talking and, uh, and a lot of times when we talk, it sparks thoughts and it sparks things that then I go and dig into, and, and sooner or later I feel God speaking on that, and it turns into a message. It's just one of the ways that He speaks to me that I've, I've learned to know and love and appreciate so much. And we were talking, and, and a friend of hers had texted and said you know, that she was seeking wisdom. And of course, my wife was praying that, that a friend would receive wisdom. And then my friend uh, uh, Patty said that she, she was praying through that, and she really heard this really strongly in her spirit. And so she sent it to her friend, but she also shared with me. And she said, you know, we can ask God for wisdom and believe that He will give it. And He will. James says that. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men. But when we ask, we must believe that we have what we ask for. Right? And so we, we know that and believe that. And it's true. James says, if you ask and you believe that He will give the wisdom that you're asking for. And Patty said, and that's true. And that's what we get to do. That's our part. We get to ask and we get to believe that He will do what we ask. But we don't get to decide how or through whom He gives that wisdom. What, what's that? What the wisdom is and how He gives it. And when she said that, I thought, dang, I wish I said that. I'll give her credit the first two times and it'll just become mine. But it, it really struck me. We sat around talking about that and kind of digging into that, what that looks like. And, and I felt that rolling around. Um, and she said, you know, if we close ourselves off to receiving from others, or if we close ourselves off to receiving anything other than the answer we believe it should be, what we're praying about could be in front of us and we don't see it. We don't hear it. Because we are waiting not only for God to answer our prayer, but for Him to answer it how and the way that we've asked Him to. And so then this morning, I was just I was, I was thinking about that, and instantly I heard Proverbs one twenty pop up in my head. If you have that, your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, verse 20. It's a pretty well-known verse. Um, 
It's written by Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, right? Who was a man who actually asked God for wisdom. Um, and in, in verse uh, 20 of chapter 1, he says, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof, behold, and I will pour my spirit out on you. I will make my words known to you. So here, Solomon's writing about wisdom, and he says, listen, wisdom is not this elusive thing, this ethereal thing that is just so unattainable. And, and he would know, I guess, better than anybody at that time because he had been given more wisdom than any person has been given up to that point or maybe at, at any time um, as the wisest man who ever lived. I believe that all of us have access to all the wisdom that Solomon had access to now because we have the one who brings wisdom, the spirit of truth living inside of us. We may not operate in the same level of wisdom, but we have access to the same level of wisdom. And, the, and really, that, a lot of that de- depends on us and how much we seek and knock and ask. Because Jesus said, everyone who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened, and the one who asks to him, it will be given. So if there's an area that we lack wisdom in our lives, it's not because God said, well, you know, if you were Solomon, I would show you that. It's because we haven't sought, we haven't knocked, we haven't asked in that area or we haven't saw, uh, listened and heard what he was saying to us because we had an idea of what it would look like for him to answer. In our lives, be really, re- you know, guys, we say this all the time, it's so true. Be really careful that we don't determine what it will look like for God to move or show up or come or speak or, or answer, whatever it is. The, 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 the Pharisees spent their lives searching the Scriptures. Jesus is standing in front of them. And He says, in vain you search the Scriptures thinking you'll find Me, but these are they that point to Me. What's he saying? You guys are looking through the Scriptures and because you're looking through and you decided what it's going to look like based on what you understood, the answer to what you're searching for is standing in front of you and you're telling the one you're searching for, hold on, we have to search for you. Because they had an idea of what it looks like for God to show up. For the Messiah to come. And because he, when He came, He didn't fit their, their predetermined idea of what it would look like. He's standing in front of them saying, this is who I am. This is Me. You're looking through those Scriptures thinking you're going to find Me. You can't find Me there. You can only get pointed to Me there. I'm here. And they're telling Him, hold on a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We think that if we just study this chapter of Isaiah a little bit more, we'll know what He looks like and then we'll be ready when He comes. And he's thinking, oh my goodness. You guys are worshiping the Word that was spoke by me. And the one who spoke that Word is standing in front of you. And because you know what it looks like when I come, you can't even see me. And I'm standing in front of you. I'm crying out in the streets. And so Solomon's writing this and he's just saying, listen, it's not this thing that wisdom is not so far off. It's not this elusive thing. It's not this, man, oh, wisdom is just the hardest. He says, look, wisdom is crying out in the streets. Like, there's wisdom all over the place. She shouts. She lifts her voice in the town. She shouts in the square. She says her sayings at the entrance to the city gate. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, everybody has heard wisdom speak. Every person, because she's at the gate speaking. And if you came into the city, you had to come through the gate. That's why he added that line in there. It wasn't that she was just in one place. He says she cries out in the streets. She's in the city. She's in the square. Wisdom is everywhere speaking. And oh, by the way, if you're in the city, 
You've heard wisdom speak because she sits at the gates and she utters her sayings at the gates and there's no way you can enter the city without hearing wisdom speak. The, pro- the problem isn't that wisdom is not speaking. The problem is, did you hear her when she spoke? And so, uh, in, with thinking about that, um, I was thinking like, man, God speaks so many different ways. And if we're, not, if we're not listening, if we're not humble, if we're not able to receive in the way that He chooses to speak, we could miss it. Wisdom could be screaming in the street, and we could miss it. Wisdom could be speaking to us as we come through the gate. We could miss it. She could be crying out in the square, and we could miss wisdom. We could actually ask wisdom to be quiet because we're trying to hear wisdom. I know that sounds crazy, but the truth of the matter is is God could be speaking to us and because He's speaking to us or what He's saying to us doesn't match what we want to hear, we could actually try to tune out the wisdom that's being spoke because we're trying to hear wisdom and we don't understand that it's actually Him speaking to us because we're so set in our minds who or how or what is going to happen. And so um, I was thinking about David in, in Psalm 139. Um, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. Uh, in Psalm 139, in, in verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. So, so this is David's prayer. He's before God, and he's saying, God, listen, if there's anything that I've done, if there's anything even in my heart, whatever it is, search me and let me know. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to live my life naively thinking I have everything figured out and everything that I'm doing is right and there's nothing going on in me that you don't like. So search me. I give you permission, God. Does God need David's permission? No. But a humble heart actually will give permission even where it's not necessary. And it's just a revelation of David's heart. That verse is in there so that we see this is a position of David's heart. And I'm not saying that that prayer was was prayed, and then the thing that happened that we're about to read about happened right after the other. But I am saying that I believe if that's what David's heart was in Psalm 139, it's probably the position of his heart when this thing happened. In, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is after David has made his catastrophic mistake, slept with another man's wife, had her husband killed, all to cover up a sin. All to cover up his indiscretion. So he sleeps with a woman. The problem is, is her husband's a man of integrity. And the husband won't sleep with the wife until the battle is over. And David tries to lure him in. I mean, he tries. If you read this story, you realize how far and how silly and how crazy ideas people will hatch to try to cover up sin. He sleeps with this man's wife who he has no business sleeping with. And then he says, oh no, she's pregnant. Well, then we have to get her husband Uriah to sleep with her. Because if he will, then when a baby comes, you know, back then it wasn't exactly a science how long it took for a baby to come. They were born premature, they were born late, and they didn't know exactly how long it took. But when the baby comes, then he'll assume it's his, and no one will ever know that I slept with his wife. The problem is that Uriah has made a vow that until the battle is over and the men that he fights alongside have returned home to their wives, he won't return home and sleep with his wife. In fact, he won't even sleep in the house with her to keep himself from doing the thing he said he wouldn't do. He has integrity. So much integrity that David entrusts him with the letter that is his death sentence and says, bring this to your captain because he knows Uriah is a man of integrity. He won't even open it up and read it. And I can actually sentence him to death and he'll carry his death sentence to his captain without ever reading it because he's a man of integrity. 
And so he tries to get Uriah drunk and send him to sleep with his wife. It just doesn't work. And so he sends the letter, you know, and he tells the captain, he says, listen, when the fighting is the fiercest, put Uriah at the front. When the fighting is the fiercest, call all the men besides Uriah to withdraw, leaving him to be killed. So it happens. And now David has brought her into his home and taken her as his wife, and he's got away with it. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And then, of course, comes the famous response of Nathan. King David, that man is you. And like I said, I'm not saying that that psalm was written right before Nathan visited him. But I am saying that something that was in David's heart was that God would search him and see if there was anything offensive in him, and if there was, that he would make it known to him. But when God wants to speak to David and answer his prayer, he doesn't just speak to him and answer his prayer. He could have. Instead, he sends another man. And it would have been very easy for David to be prideful. He was the king. He was the anointed one. He was the most powerful man in God's people. And it would have been really easy for him to be prideful and throw Nathan out of his castle, even maybe have Nathan killed, to cover up yet again what he did. But instead, he humbly submitted himself to the word that Nathan spoke. He repented. And God made a way for him to stay on the throne and to remain the king of the people. But what if David would have decided the only way that I'm going to hear God speak is him speaking directly to me? What if David would have decided in his heart long before Nathan came that the only way I will hear, the only person that can speak to this situation is the Lord himself because he's the only one that knows what's going on. See, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll find ourselves in a position and we'll think that our position is so unique that nobody else could possibly speak to us without realizing that one of the ways that God speaks to his people is through the people around us. And if we won't be humble and receive what they have to say, we could be missing out and spending hours on our knees praying for God to speak, ignoring Him as He does over and over and over and over again through people around us. So David listens and humbles himself. And You know, it's not to say that God will never speak straight to us. Sometimes He will. Sometimes He'll lead us to see something in the Word. Sometimes He'll speak something directly to us. Sometimes we may even hear an audible voice. I know my mom said that she's heard the audible voice of God twice in her life. That's it. She's followed God and loved Him her whole life. She's heard His audible voice twice. She's heard Him speak through the Word many times. She's heard Him speak through other people many times. 
But David was humble, and he actually received what Nathan had brought to him. And he didn't decide in his heart that the only person that can speak to this situation is God. And because he allowed other people to speak into his life, he was able to receive the wisdom that the Lord was wanting to bring and the correction that the Lord was wanting to bring. <coughs> Sometimes he speaks in really, really drastic ways, right? So Numbers chapter 22, verse 22. Balaam's not doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. It says, but God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on his side and a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. So there's a few things that God was showing me in this and obviously the most unusual way that God speaks to Balaam is through a donkey I mean that's I think if a donkey speaks most of us in here would realize something's going on (laughs) right like there like I'm I mean seriously like like I think every single one of us if we were on a horse and we were beating the horse and the horse turned around looked at us and said why are you hitting me Okay, we would have a clue that maybe something more than just a normal horseback ride was going on, right? I like to think that anyways. We're a little smarter than Balaam, maybe. But don't discount the fact that God actually spoke. It says the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and He spoke to him. Let that wreck your idea of the way that God can speak to me. Let that, just allow that to stretch your box of theology that says this is the way that God speaks. Because you have to include a donkey. And once you've gone there, you're out there in crazy land where anything else doesn't seem that strange anymore. Right? Like, I, I honestly believe that these stories are in there just to stretch our theology just a little bit, just to stretch our parameters, just to stretch our ideas of what it looks like for God to speak so that we don't discount when He comes to us and speaks to us in a way that we have never heard. Listen, if you've never heard of God speaking to somebody else, it doesn't mean that He's not speaking to you that way. Now, if that's the only way He ever speaks to you, you probably should question it. But here a donkey speaks. But there was more to it than just that because I noticed something in it this morning that I'd I'd never seen before. It says, Balaam threatens the donkey and tells him, if I had a sword, I would have killed you by now. 
The donkey's reply was, Am I not your donkey in which you've ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? Balaam says no. You know, sometimes in our lives, like the good thing about having people that we live our lives with and that we know and are known by, that's why relationships are so important. That's why God has us on this idea of being family, of, of, of saying like, you know, everyone can't be best friends with everyone, but everybody can be really close and go after the Lord with somebody. Like everybody needs people around them. Everybody can't have the same people around them, but everybody can have people around them that are going after the Lord together, that encourage them, that lift them up, that hold them accountable, that will call them out on things. If you have nobody in your life that can speak corrective words into your life, you are in huge trouble. I mean that. Like you are in a dangerous place if there's nobody in your life that has permission, has the ability, and that you will listen to if they speak correction into your life. And if you find yourself trying to find something wrong with what they're saying or wrong with them as they're speaking correction, there's pride and you need to repent and deal with it. I promise you. Just be humble and be honest. If when someone comes to me and gives me correction, if the first response inside of me is to find something wrong with them or something wrong with what they're saying rather than listening and seeing maybe this actually is for me, there's pride going on there and I promise you it will get you in trouble. I know because I've done it. I used to be really good at not listening to what they were saying, but thinking about who was saying it and trying to find some way to discredit them so that I didn't have to listen to what they were saying. Because it was easier to discredit them than it was to examine my own heart. It was easy to say, well, they didn't say it the right way than to say, but what did they say? It was easier to say, yeah, but they do this than to really look and say, yeah, but I did that. I would do it. Even if I didn't speak it, in my mind I thought it. And I gave myself permission to discount things that I really needed to hear because of who it came through. Be careful. Just be careful. But, but Balaam's donkey gives, us, gives him a, an answer that I, I love. And basically what he's saying is, you've known me your whole life. And what I did is, is out of what you know of me. That's not normal for me. Have I ever done that to you before? And Balaam says, no. What's the donkey saying? Balaam, you've known me your whole life. If suddenly I do or say or act differently towards you than I normally do, maybe you should consider that there's something that you don't see. Maybe you should consider that I see something that you don't because it says Balaam saw the angel. I'm sorry, Balaam's donkey saw the angel, but Balaam didn't. If your friends that, are, that are love you and are supportive of you and that, that, that encourage you and go after the Lord with you come to you and they say something to you that seems completely out of character or nature or is different than the way they normally talk to you, it should cause us to stop and think, maybe they see something that I don't. Maybe it's not because they're a stubborn donkey. Maybe it's that there's an angel standing there with a sword and they love me and they see something that I don't and they're trying to keep me from something. Because when the angel speaks, the angel says, had the donkey not stopped these three times and turned back, I would have struck you down and killed you with the sword. That sounds harsh. It's the word. 
The donkey's stubbornness, the donkey's refusal to do what he said, the donkey's refusal to just go along with what he was saying wasn't because the donkey wanted to be stubborn. It was because the donkey wanted to save Balaam's life. And Balaam was so busy trying to do what he wanted to do that he couldn't even see that the donkey that had known him his whole life was actually trying to save him from something rather than keep him from something good. If you have friends in your life that know you and have known you for a long time that you live life with together that are going after God together with you and suddenly something happens that's totally different, you should probably pause and think, maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I don't see something here. What did Balaam say? If I had a sword, I would have killed you by now. What's the first thing that happens a lot of times when something like this happens in our lives? We find something to sever the relationship rather than to stop and consider that maybe they're keeping us from something even worse. Don't be so quick to draw the sword and sever something just because you don't like the response that's coming from the one who's known you your whole life. Man, that's good. I didn't think it up. I was sitting in the nursing mother's room this morning typing as fast as my fingers would go, which is pretty slow, and telling God, slow down, slow down, slow down. I want to get this all. Serious. I know, I'm so thankful, right? Like, like that's such a good analogy just for life. It's like, yeah, there's a time to prepare, and I love preparing, but I also want to make sure that in my preparation I leave room so that God can speak. And not just plow ahead and say, yeah, but God, I have three other messages that I'm trying to decide between. I really don't feel like writing out a fourth right now. Could you keep that for next week? Because you know what I believe? I believe God would have honored it, but I don't believe it would have carried the weight of when He was speaking it right now. I do. I honestly believe that it wouldn't have carried the weight that it's going to carry this morning because it's straight off of His mouth, straight to my heart this morning. And God loves you enough that He'll honor sometimes your request. And you'll never know. And He won't come to you and say... (laughs) You should have seen what it would have been like last week. <laughs> right? Because I could have spoke this word next week and I think people would have been like, man, that was a good word. Right? Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but seriously, I, I do believe that. I believe I could have spoke the same word next week and people would have said, man, that was good. You know what you said about this or that? Or they would have at least thought it in their hearts even if they didn't say it. And God wouldn't have came and been like, yeah, but what if you would have spoke it last week? But I would have never known that. But I honestly believe that just by being obedient and leaving room in your life for God to speak, even when you are tightly prepared for something, is so crucial. So crucial. And it's not just for pastors either. It's for all of us. And I don't believe in just showing up on Sunday and going, "Eh, I haven't thought about God all week. I haven't sought the Lord for a word all week. I haven't really studied anything all week. But He'll give me something. He has to. All the people are showing up. I don't believe in that either. I believe God loves and honors our preparation, but I also believe that it's because you come prepared. It's because the worship team comes prepared that when God tells them to play another song, they can go into it and play exactly what God's saying in the moment because they're not just up there winging it. Don't ever believe that being Spirit-filled means being flaky. Flaky is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not. We should be the most reliable people on the face of this earth because if anybody's yes means yes, it should be ours. And if anyone's no means no, it should be ours. And people should understand that if we say something, we mean it and I don't have to question or think about it. Not if we say something, well, they might, but you know, they're kind of those charismatics. You just never know what's going to happen. You guys, that is a lie. The Holy Spirit is just as involved in your preparation as He is in your doing. 
It's not like he stands over there the whole time that you're preparing saying, I don't have anything to do with this, but I'm going to wreck their plans once they start. Every now and then he'll come and wreck your plans. That's an awesome thing. But he can be just as part of the preparation as he is the part of the wrecking the plans. And if we label him as one or the other and we think it's religious to not ever be flaky, something's wrong. Yeah. That's God. (laughs) He's saying, move on to the next point. You don't have that much time, Roy. You've got to be open to how he speaks, right? If he can talk through a donkey, he can speak through a cell phone. No, but listen, seriously. Sometimes friends see things that we don't. Sometimes there's an angel with a flaming sword and all we're thinking is, I've got to get over there. And the angel's standing there with a flaming sword and we don't see it because listen, until Balaam humbles himself and listens to the donkey, he doesn't see it. Because when he answers, the, he actually humbles himself to speak to the donkey. He does. He risks looking crazy, feeling crazy. Right? A conversation with a donkey could have that effect on you. You could feel crazy. Sometimes I feel crazy praying all day to a God I don't see. I'm just being honest. Like I know He's real. I know He's there. But sometimes I think, man, if someone followed me around and listened to me, they would lock me up. Because I have a constant ongoing conversation going with this God that I can't see and neither could they. But I know He's real. So he says, no. What is Balaam doing? He's saying, you know what? You're right. You have known me my whole life. You've served me my whole life. You've gone wherever I said to go. You've done whatever I've said to do. You've never done something like this before. You're right. No, you haven't. It says, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. When did he see what was standing in front of him? when he humbled himself and received what the friend who had known him his whole life was speaking to him. Sometimes there's things in our lives that we can't see until we'll actually humble ourselves and receive something from somebody else. And then, the Lord could have opened his eyes at any time. Think about it. Like He could have opened Balaam's eyes before the donkey even spoke so that he didn't have to go through that with the donkey, but he didn't. He didn't open his eyes to see the truth until he actually humbled himself and replied to a donkey. Something that was beneath him. I think he used the donkey to let you know, if I can use a donkey, a beast of burden, that's purpose in life is only to serve people, to actually speak and see things that a man doesn't see, I can use anybody. Believe me. If he can show a donkey something, he can show the people around you something. And being humble and able to receive is what opens our eyes often to be able to see the thing that's standing in front of us. Because he could have stood there beating that donkey until the donkey died and he wouldn't have seen it until he actually humbled himself and considered that maybe the donkey knows something that I don't. And also, this is another example, just a side note real quick, of, of the whole angelic thing. Like We have this idea that you know, we, we tell angels what to do. Like, you know, go get them angels and stuff like that. And as long as we're speaking what God wants and we're doing what's in God's will, I believe that angels are, are with us and that you know, they're, they're, they're for us. But remember when, when uh, Joshua crossed the river, he sees an angel standing with a foot on either side of it and he says, who's, 
whose side are you on? Are you for us or against us? He says, neither. I'm on the side of the Lord. In other words, you decide whose side I'm on by your decision. Now, if you're going to go and do what the Lord says, I'll be with you. But if not, I'll be against you. They do the will of the Lord. What did the angel say to him, to, to, to Balaam? He said, I came out as an adversary. Because your way was contrary to me. Why was it contrary to me? Because they only do the will of the Lord. So yeah, you can expect angelic help and angelic uh, protection and all that stuff as long as you're submitted and following the way of the Lord. But if you're going against the way of the Lord, there actually could be an angel that's opposing you. And thank God we live in a covenant of grace because He told Balaam, I was going to kill you. Literally. That I would have struck you down had your donkey not stopped and turned those three times. I had a sword and I would have struck you down and killed you. Let that stretch your theological box a little bit. I sing because you are good. You know what I mean? Like, he's good. I know, I could sing. It's my backup plan in case this whole pastoring thing doesn't work out. I'll get skinnier jeans and a trendy haircut and I'll be a worship leader. Totally joking. I won't do CrossFit. I'll just stop eating for a while. <laughs> is that, is it, did a phone ring? <laughs> Moving right along. I want, I want to say this exactly as, as, he, as he said it to me this morning. There will be times in our lives that humbling ourselves and listening to people around us will allow us to see what they see. And only when we do. Because until we do, we could actually be opposing what God wants for us. And God Himself may be opposing us. And we can't see it. Because someone around us sees it. And God is waiting for us to show humility before He opens our eyes. I'm just going to close up with this. Then, of course, there's the example that everybody knows where God speaks in the classical way, right? With Samuel. He wakes him up while he's sleeping. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli. Runs into him. Master, did you call me? I didn't say anything to you. Goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. Runs back in again to Eli. Master, did you call me? I didn't say anything to you. Samuel, listen, okay, the next time you hear that voice, Eli, he's not the fastest, but he eventually catches on. Okay, if I'm not speaking, someone is. Maybe it's the Lord. So the next time you hear that, Samuel, say to him, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. You realize that even in that, there's something that was required of Samuel. Even though God was waking him up in the middle of the night and had something to speak to him, was calling him as a prophet, and the word of the Lord the actual Word of the Lord was going to be deposited into him in that encounter and he was going to become a prophet that spoke on God's behalf, there was still something required of Samuel in that exchange. It was for him to actually quiet himself, still himself, put his attention on the Lord and say, I'm speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Samuel could have spent all night praying 
and not heard what God wanted to speak because God wasn't interested in him busying himself and going through a religious activity. All he wanted was Samuel's attention. Sometimes we spend so much time praying, and we think praying means speaking, that he can't even speak back. You ever had that conversation where, where you're talking, where it's not a conversation, someone's talking to you, but they're not talking to you, they're talking at you? They're not talking with you, they're just monologuing? And you need to get off the phone and you can't because they won't even pause long enough for you to be like, hey, I gotta go. Sometimes I feel like that's how God is in heaven towards us sometimes, where it's like we come to Him, we come into His presence, and we come in all frazzled and just full of these concerns or however it is, and we come rushing into His presence, and we start speaking, and we just kind of puke everything out. And because we've prayed, we feel like, okay, I've done what He's asked. Then we go back to the thing that it was that was bothering us, or we go back to doing it our way, or we put our attention on something else, and He's in heaven going... And we're cutting him off every time he tries to talk. He says, okay, I can... And finally he just goes, okay. And when we're finished, if we'll listen, he'll reply. And if we won't, he may reply, but we'll never hear it. And it'll be wisdom calling in the street. It'll be wisdom speaking at the gate. It'll be wisdom crying out in the town square calling into the streets and we'll be alone in our room praying to hear the voice of wisdom and asking wisdom if they could keep it down because we really need to hear the word of the Lord. I promise you we can do that. We can actually cut wisdom off in the process of seeking wisdom if we're not open to the way that God may be wanting to speak to us. If we have an idea of what it will look like or what it will sound like or what He'll say. And we can get so hung up on what we think the answer is. And basically, we've got the answer figured out. Now we just need to talk God into getting on board. That's what our prayer is a lot of times. If we listen to our prayers, we would understand. Most of our prayers sound like we have everything figured out. And God, why wouldn't you just bless this amazing plan? Father, I'm, I've just been going through this thing. And I know this, and I know that, and I know that. And maybe every now and then God goes, what do I got to do? Go get a donkey. Because I've told them three times. I've blocked their path three times. This is the most persistent wrongdoer ever. Because I've blocked their way three times. And they, if they could, they'd kill the one who's saving their life. They would cut the one who's saving their life with a sword. They would sever themselves from the one who's actually speaking wisdom to them by their actions. And they would go their own way into destruction. i got to do something. Because sometimes when people are saying things to us, our, our, our tendency is to grab a sword and sever the person from us rather than actually humble ourselves and listen to what they're saying. And I guess what I'm just trying to say this morning is, you guys, let's never ever be a people where God says, you're praying for wisdom and I'm speaking it to you. It's calling out in the streets. You chase it as if it's this thing that I don't want to give and you can't receive it because you've already decided what it will look like for me to give it and I'm not interested in making myself fit your mold. I'm not interested in you conforming me into your image. I'm interested in conforming you into my image. This was my idea. You're my creation. I spoke you into existence, not the other way around. 
C.S. Lewis once said that, that God made man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. And we do that sometimes because we make these ideas of what it will look like for God to speak, what it will look like for God to do, what it will look like for God to act. And we're so busy waiting to see one of our plans that we've invented that we can't even see the one that God has ready for us until we'll actually scrap that, humble ourselves, get before Him and say, God, speak, I'm listening. However you want to speak, through people, through a circumstance, through a donkey, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to know you. I want to hear you. God, thank you that you've surrounded me with people that maybe see things that I don't. God, don't ever let me be so prideful that I can't receive from people. Let me humble myself so that I see what they see. So that I'm not charging headlong into a flaming sword when wisdom's crying out in the streets. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you that you, your word says that if we ask and we believe that you will give wisdom, God, let us do our part, but let us also be open to you doing your part, God. God, I thank you that you give the way that you decide to give, how you decide to give, and that wisdom is your wisdom, not ours. And I just ask that we would be a humble people that would be able to receive in any way that you want to speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.